Friends, uh, let me pray for us um, before we hear God's word. So let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for your amazing grace to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that when we were lost, you came and found us. When we were blind, you gave us sight. Um, Lord, we thank you for calling us out of darkness into your light. For those who are trusting in Jesus, we know that you have um, saved us from slavery to sin and all its consequences. Um, We thank you, Father, that we exist, we live um, by your grace. Uh, And we thank you, Lord, that by your grace you bring us into a new life. Lord, we thank you for the precious gift of your word that speaks so clearly about that new life. Um, Lord, we know that we don't obey you in order to get things from you, but because you have given us everything, we want to, with thankful hearts and humble hearts, hear your word and put it into practice, knowing that you are good and that you want what is best for us. And we pray for ourselves now, as we, especially as we look at a really um, uh, important subject, the issue of how we think about and live out our sexuality as your people. Um, please give us, give us all that we need, Father. Um, help us to hear your word well and, and to receive it and live it out for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, we're going to read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to start from verse 1. I'm not sure if that's up on the screen or not. Um, If it's not, apologies. I'm going to start from verse 1, but read through to verse 8. If you have your... There should be a handout, a a, um, bookmark in the Bibles you had uh, got on the way in if you want to know where that is. So, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. This, friends, is God's word to us today. Well, um, we're talking about sex today, and on one level, as a preacher, that's a welcome thing. It means I haven't had to put any effort into an opening story or illustration, because I know everyone's already paying attention. Uh, uh, But the downside of talking about sex is that you have to talk about sex, Um, and that's something that many of us find hard to do. Uh, It's not my preferred topic of conversation, 
I'm guessing it may not be yours either. And maybe you approach today with a little bit of nervousness. Um, there's lots of reasons that that might be the case. Maybe you've come from a culture or a family background where it just wasn't talked about. Um, I'm conscious, though, that there's others here who will carry deep burdens and scars in this area. Uh, and even just kind of talking about it, raising it, can cause a kind of fight-or-flight response, you know, kind of um, can raise some real issues. Uh, it, it can raise issues on another level, though. It may be that you, you just feel the fact that right now, in our society, this creates probably the biggest amount of friction between a Christian worldview the, the, uh, and the worldview of most everyday Aussies, right? The traditional Christian ethic is no longer seen as probably it was 30 years ago as a kind of a little bit quaint, uh, outdated. Um, the last couple of decades have seen a massive shift across Western societies where the Bible's teaching about sex is seen not just a little bit, as a little bit weird and old-fashioned, but um, as an evil thing. And maybe you're a Christian yourself and you just really feel that. Um, in your school or your workplace, the sports club, you just feel that tension, that gap. Um, or maybe, maybe you're not yet a Christian, someone who's interested at some level on a Christian things, and this is just one of those sticking points for you, one of those issues that seems just so different uh, to how you've thought about and lived this out in the past. Well, I want to suggest a few reasons, uh, acknowledging the kind of um, nervousness that some of us may be feeling about um, uh, talking about this. I want to suggest a few reasons why we need to talk about it. Um, I say this all the time, but one of the things I hope that characterises us as a church is a commitment to reading the Bible through together and not skipping over the bits that make us feel uncomfortable. Um, we do that because we trust Jesus. Jesus said, Jesus said he came to give life and to give it to the full. And we trust him when he says that. And so we trust what the Bible says. The whole Bible has Jesus' stamp of approval over it. And especially this passage here, we heard, I read it out, we looked at it last week, that these instructions come with Jesus' own authority. The same Jesus who came to give light and life to a dark and dying world. The same Jesus who died for your sin and mine, who rose again in power and who loves us with an everlasting love. That same Jesus stands behind what is written here. So it's important to keep, uh, it's so important to keep saying this, friends. Um, ultimately, Christians have incredible, wonderful, good news to share when it comes to sex and relationships. Uh, what's written here comes in the context of the whole Bible's story, and it's a far better story than any other story. Uh, we kind of looked at this last year a little bit um, in the book in the Bible that's set apart, you know, the whole book that's set apart to in, uh, exploring and enjoying this issue. Um, the story of the Bible, is the st it tells a story of sex as God's good gift from a loving creator, a creator who's not stingy or oppressive, uh, who wants what's best for his creation. 
At the same time, it's a story that knows the reality of our selfishness and our own brokenness, and which means that when this good gift isn't enjoyed in the way it's designed to be, it can be the cause of great pain and suffering. Now, the Christian story actually allows you to recognise that and to name it. <clears throat> uh, but it also tells of what God has done to fix it up. It's a story that tells for God, of God's amazing grace to sinners, of his healing for victims through the death and resurrection of Jesus. It is the best story, actually, um, because it's also a story that shows that while sex is a good gift from God, it isn't ultimate. And this is perhaps where this story stands furthest apart from our culture. Uh, that says that if you're going to have a fulfilled life, if you're going to be a fulfilled person, uh, it has sex as an, an ultimate thing that you must pursue at all costs. The, the Bible story says that Intimacy is a good gift. The intimacy of relationships and physical intimacy of marriage, it's a good gift, but it points beyond itself to something far better, far greater. Not all of us will receive this good gift, but it points to a far greater pleasure, a deeper intimacy, an intimacy that is offered to everyone through the union of Jesus and his church uh, the reality of being completely known and completely loved that Jesus holds out to you. That's a really brief snapshot of the big story of sex and relationships in the Bible, but it's the big context that we need to read this passage in. As the Apostle Paul is writing to this church in Thessalonica, he notes, he knows that this is one of those aspects of their lives that is so easy to idolise and misuse. It can have an enslaving grip on us and promises a kind of satisfaction that it doesn't actually deliver and can actually lead us away from real life and joy and peace. And so to guard God's great yes, to guard his, God's great yes, to this, Paul knows we also need to hear God's no to those things that will rob us of true and real intimacy. Well, it was part of Paul's basic Christianity 101 for this group of new Christians. If you remember the story from previous weeks, uh, the gospel has come to this group. It has transformed their life. Um, God, by his grace, has taken them away from the idolatry of um, their lives and brought them into the freedom of serving him. Um, but Paul only had a really short time with them uh, and he knew that there were a few things that he had to talk to them about. And this was one of them, uh, a key area of their life that they, uh, they had to work through as what it looked like to follow Jesus. And so we're going to hear what Paul reminds them of here. He, he's, kind of, he's already spoken this to them in person. He's writing to them now to really remind them of it and to urge them to do these things more and more. Um, uh, and so he goes on in verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Uh, the word sanctified there is just the same word that means holy. Uh, the same, it's, it's, it's the same word. And I wonder what you uh, think of. What's the immediate image that comes to your mind when you hear the word holy? 
Um, it's fallen out of fashion a little bit for people to talk about and Christians to talk about, probably because we mistake it to mean holier than thou, which is a very different thing um, in a kind of judgmental way. That's not at all what it means. To be a Christian is to be a forgiven sinner, someone who can't point to anything good in yourself but who can only cling on to Jesus as the perfect one who stands in your place. So holiness isn't about smug superiority. Um, but it is a word that means to be set apart for a special purpose. To be set apart. If you're a Christian, then by God's grace, not by your own goodness, but by God's grace, you've been set apart so that you might live to please God. And God's will for his people is that they should be sanctified, that they should live out that holiness. They should live to please God more and more. There's a couple of things here um, that is God's will for you to be sanctified, for your sanctification, for your holiness. Um, we often struggle, don't we, with what God's will is for our life. That's uh, something that uh, we can often kind of struggle with and wrestle with. Um, we can often think about it in terms of a kind of immediate and personalised guidance that we might get um, on a trivial level, you know, which sock to put on in the morning. And, you know. But um, uh, there's, something, there's something right about wanting that um, intimate and powerfully involved expectation of God's involvement in our lives. Um, but as far as I can tell, the way that God promises and guarantees to normally guide his people uh, in our everyday lives is through his wonderful, exciting, sure, spirit-inspired word to us. He is intimately, personally, immediately involved in our lives as he, by his spirit, takes his word and cuts it into our hearts and transforms us by it. And from this part of God's word, whatever else we might say about um, how we know God's will for our lives, you can know this with 100% confidence. God's will for your life is that in whatever decisions you make, in whatever circumstances you find yourself in, you should be sanctified, holy, set apart for him more and more. Um, and I think one way this really helps us is that it, it kind of keeps check on our capacity to deceive ourselves. Um, God can lead us in any way he chooses. But if you feel that God is leading you into a situation that would compromise your holiness, well, you can, you can see that for what it is, a lie. That is, in fact, taking you away from God and his clearly revealed will for your life that is put forward here in the scriptures. It is his will for you that you be holy. Um, but there's another aspect that's a bit of a kind of challenging thought, isn't it? But there's another aspect in here that I want to bring out. I think this is actually an incredible encouragement to Christians struggling to be holy. Um, we talked last week about how what's going on here isn't legalism. It's not trying to, trying to just do stuff under your own steam so that you can work your way to God. 
Um, we saw that last week. This is gospel transformation that's based on God and his work in us by his spirit. And everything, I think, flows out of this and hangs off this statement. This is God's will. It is God's will for you. God is cheering on your sanctification, your holiness. He wants it. He is totally for it. And I think that's just a really powerful reality to keep in your minds. And it gives us confidence to hear what comes next. Um, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. You should be holy. A holiness is more than, it's a bigger thing than just talking about sex, but Paul knows how we think about and live out that part of our lives is key to it. So that's what he focuses on. It's God's will that you should be sanctified. And he gives three commands. We'll, just, um, we'll work through each of them. That you should avoid sexual immorality. Uh, you can see in your outline there that I've sort of put in um, a word, porneia, which is what it's in the original, but you can kind of see how that crosses over into English. Um, it's a general term that basically captures, it captures any kind of um, sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. Um, it's, a, it's a general kind of catch-all phrase. And this was a really big deal for the Thessalonians. Um, our, society, our society is you know, becoming increasingly sexualized, and, but, folks, it was nothing compared to ancient Thessalonica. <laughs> um, uh, air, uh, um, expressions of all kinds were just a part and parcel of daily life in downtown Thessalonica. There was a temple in the city where they practiced um, uh, cultic prostitution. It was, th it was thought that was how you expressed your devotion to God. Uh, and that was just a normal, everyday part of life. It was generally socially acceptable to enter into all kinds of relationships. And one, one ancient writer talks about this like this. Um, he records that um, people would keep uh, mistresses, uh, concubines and wives, but the wives were for bearing legitimate children. Um, that was kind of their function, you know. Uh, but it, there were all kinds of other relationships that were totally s acceptable in the society and were expected, um, including others. Uh, it was just part of the culture. It was stacked against women. They weren't as free in all of this. Um, but that was the general vibe of Thessalonian society. And so, friends, for, for Paul to write this to them, for them to avoid, to steer clear of any kind of uh, sex outside of marriage, it, it was to urge them to stand out like a sore thumb from their culture around them. It was basically to urge them to be the fly in the ointment, <laughs> the, the people who rocked the boat, to be the member of their family who wouldn't give the temple offering, to be the guy in the office who refused to laugh at the smutty joke, to be the person who says no to that kind of adulterous relationship that all everyone else seems to be pursuing. Well, there's nothing new under the sun here, is there? Um, on one level, though, this, I think this is um, helpful for us. You see, um, Christians are part of a movement that took root in some of the most promiscuous societies ever. Um, and Paul is urging them... Well, what does he urge them to do? Uh, he doesn't urge them to a fearful or panicking kind of response. It's, 
He doesn't. He certainly doesn't urge them to become arrogant and unwelcoming to those outside of Christ. Not at all. Um, he's urging for Christians, for those who have accepted the wonderful news of Jesus, is just to get on with it and get stuck into holiness. Um, those of you who uh, are in Jesus, that's who you are through being united to Jesus. That's who you are. So avoid sexual immorality. Actually, I think that kind of sounds a bit weak. It's kind of like you're walking down the street on a rainy day and you avoid a puddle. Uh, I, th- I think the force of this is more like avoid it like the plague. Paul says in another place, flee it. Flee it. Don't have any, don't put, don't play with fire. <laughs> Flee it. And how do you do that? How do you avoid this? You do it, well, one way that Paul goes on to talk about is you do it by learning self-control. Verse 4. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. God's given us our bodies. We're, our bodies are good things and they're created with good desires. Um, but if we're going to live in line with the way God made us and the way our good God made us, then those de- Paul says here, those desires need to be controlled. Um, to not do that, to kind of just give free reign to them, is to live as if you don't know God. To live as if uh, maybe what's going on behind that is to, it's kind of to live as if this world is all there is, right? And if this is all there is, then you'd better squeeze out whatever you can while you're here before you vanish into nothingness. But God is real. He has revealed himself in Jesus and he opens up a far better way than the desperate search for fleeting pleasures, he offers eternal, infinite joy. And he shows what it looks like to live as he created us to live. And what Paul goes on to say is that when we ignore that reality um, of how God has made us, it isn't just harmful, it's not just an individual thing. It kind of spreads out to the people around us. And verse 6. And in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. And there are, there are a few other areas where it's possible, where it's more possible to hurt others and be hurt by others more deeply than this area of sex and relationships. It happens in all kinds of ways. Um, if the statistics are right, um, there's not much difference between Christians and the rest of society when it comes to um, sleeping with each other outside of marriage. Um, I heard a story this week of a girl constantly pressured by her supposedly Christian boyfriend uh, because everyone else is doing it. Friends, marriage is designed by God to be the safe space for sex, the place where you give yourself wholly to the other person in selfless and self-giving love, protected by the solemn promises that you make before God and his people. 
That's God's good context for real, trusting, safe sex. To ignore that is actually to wrong, and what Paul's saying here is actually to wrong and take advantage of the other person. To see sex primarily as about you and the fulfillment of your desires rather than a gift for marriage to bind together husband and wife in self-sacrificial love. Um, There's a host of other ways that this plays out. Technology ramps it up. Uh, There are popular websites that you can have, you can, uh, that will facilitate you entering a secret adulterous relationship that will inflict untold harm on your spouse, on your family. And then, of course, there is the great scourge of pornography that many Christians know too well, and if the stats are right, that many here know all too well. Um, the porn industry is set up to exploit you, to enslave you, to get money from you, and it will damage your relationships. It will damage your marriage now or in the future by setting up totally unrealistic expectations. It will feed a self-centred view of relationships that leads to all kinds of hurts. Uh, the industry that itself exploits and hurts those who are a part of it, especially women. I wish I didn't have to say this, but perhaps the most horrendous way this plays out across all of society, but in churches too, um, and as has become clear in recent decades, is the way the most vulnerable among us are wronged and taken advantage of. The youngest, the weakest, those who are least able to defend themselves. That's when we cry out for justice, isn't it? For this wickedness to be brought to account. And if you feel that way, I hope you do, listen to how God feels about it. The Lord will punish all who commit such sins. As we warned you, told you and warned you before. Friends, God is serious about sexual sin. He loves his world too much to let it continue on unchecked. It sits under his judgment. And those who sin in this way, and I take it that is all of us on some level, <laughs> those who sin in this way also sit under that judgment. The only way out of that is to come to Jesus, to recognise the weight of your sin and be filled with real transforming thankfulness as Jesus takes that weight on himself. Let's himself face your judgment so that you could be completely and utterly forgiven and washed clean and set apart. And if you're trusting in Jesus, that is true for you. And it is what God calls you to. Verse 7, For God did not call you to be impure, but to live a holy life. If you're trusting Jesus, you are totally freed from condemnation, from guilt, from shame, but you are not freed from that into nothingness. You know? You are freed with a purpose called by God to live a holy life. Doesn't, 
Don't hear there to live a stuffy life, right? That's not what it means. A prudish life, a life without any fun. No. Called by God to live the rich, full, meaningful life of living for God according to his good design and for his life-giving purposes. God's call is good. He calls you into the true marriage that human marriages are just a sign pointing towards. He calls you into the deep intimacy of knowing and enjoying him forever. And therefore, Paul finishes off this section, therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being but God. The very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. This isn't just one guy, Paul's advice. It's certainly not Duncan's thoughts on sex, as awkward and unhelpful as that would be. Uh, the reason I could overcome my reluctance here, uh, and the reason why every person here actually needs to hear this, wherever you're at, whether you're a long-term Christian who's further down the road but is still being made holy, whether you're a new Christian who's trying to figure out life and brings all sorts of complications to this, whether you're someone who's not yet a Christian but is, wants to know uh, how the good news of Jesus shapes all of life, the reason that all of us need this is because it's not just some guy's thoughts. It is God's word given through his apostle with the authority of the Lord Jesus. And it is good. It is life-giving. And if you are a Christian, God has given you his own Holy Spirit. It's his will that you live this out. And he's on your side. He's with you in it by his spirit. So don't give up. Keep going. Do it. Pursue holiness more and more. You have every resource of God available to you by His Spirit. He wants this. Well, if you're not a Christian, and this may not, this may well not make sense to you. It, and it may have stirred up all sorts of reactions. Um, it's important to say, as we, if you're here with us last week, we looked at this. It's important to say that. This, this isn't the place to start in the Christian life. Um, the gospel of Jesus is not fix up your life and then God will accept you. It's that through Jesus, God has one new life and gives it freely to all who come to him humbly and trust him and cast themselves on him. Everyone who calls on him uh, will be saved but he calls them to live out this new life, to live it out more and more in thankful obedience in this. And this area is one that it needs to shape and it needs perseverance, it needs hard work and it needs the capacity to make tough decisions to live it out more and more. But friends, if you're not a Christian, start with coming to Jesus and receiving his new life and forgiveness. Ask him to help you by his Holy Spirit. See, at the end of the day, the question I think, friends, we're left with here is, will you trust God? Will you trust God, especially in this area of sex and relationships?
Um, I'm deeply aware of the nature of this topic and what it may stir up in some of us. I'm deeply aware of my own inadequacy about talking of these things. Um, the last thing I'd want to do is, is to heap up shame. Friends, the focus of this passage is not the past but the future. Um, for Christians, all shame is dealt with through Jesus. So friends, take it to the cross Leave it there and hear this call to holiness from today onwards, to cast yourself again on God, to work this holiness in you. Uh, I want to leave us with um, this thing that it, it's um, been uh, put together by an American pastor called John Piper. Some of you will know him. I use this acronym as a, a practical guide to holiness in this area. I wanted to leave it with you. I think it summarizes a lot of the things in this passage. That's the word anthem. The word anthem. And an anthem for holiness. Um, Piper says, A anthem. Avoid sights and situations that arouse unfitting desire. Uh, that's, I mean, that's the, the kind of first thing that Paul says here, right? Avoid it. Avoid it, and not just like a puddle on the street. Avoid it like the plague. Avoid, and th you know, that's going to take hard work. It's going to take thinking through what those are for you. Avoid them. This next one is just really practical. Uh, it's not legalism, but it, it's, it's practical help for us. And... Say no to lustful thoughts within five seconds. Um, just get in the habit of that. Say no to it. The within five seconds things, you know, that's kind of a bit arbitrary, but it gives you a bit of a time frame to think, no, 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 I'm going to actively and consciously say no to that. And then, instead, T, turn your thoughts to Christ for your superior satisfaction. Turn your thoughts to Christ. He is the one who can satisfy every desire of your heart. He's the one who can satisfy what you are longing for. Turn your thoughts to him and H, hold the promise and the pleasure of Christ firmly in your mind. And then E, enjoy. Enjoy a superior satisfaction. Um, one way in which this is just so helpful is um, I find, uh, and John Piper is excellent at this, in helping us to find, to pursue, to fight for joy as Christians. Joy through knowing Jesus. Enjoy that superior satisfaction that Jesus offers to you. And the last one's very practical and it relates to the Thessalonian church. One of the issues that was probably, we'll look at next week one of the issues that was um, uh, probably a significant thing going on in the uh, Thessalonian church was, and I don't think it's disconnected from this whole issue, uh, was uh, a, a problem with idleness. Um, a, a problem with idleness that seems to have taken root in, in, in the church. And so M here, move, move into useful activity away from idleness. There's a real um, just practical help a practical aid in, in your holiness in that. 
Um, we'll think more about that in coming weeks. Um, this isn't to. Um, uh, uh, this is this isn't to divert our attention away from the heart to kind of rules. Not at all. Um, it's a helpful way of just picturing what it might look like for you uh, to pursue holiness in this area because it is God's will for you that you should be holy, that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. You should learn to control your own body in a way that's holy and honourable, that you shouldn't take advantage or wrong a brother or sister. God's judgment sits over all of those things. Um, and his call on his people who are saved by his grace is into holiness. And he's given you his spirit to help you in that way. Friends, let me pray for us as we finish. Can we pray? Oh God, you are the one who binds up the brokenhearted. And Lord, I, I ask that any here who particularly feel the brokenness of their heart will find healing and peace and comfort in you, in your unfailing love. You are the holy God. And I ask, Father, for any here who are um, enslaved by sin in this area that we might know the reality of your holiness that we might be filled with a greater thankfulness for what you have done for us through Jesus and that you might equip us to pursue your good design in for us in this area of sex and relationships. Lord, we, we pray for our church family that it will be one in which um, holiness is pursued and honoured and lifted up and that that might be a wonderful witness to the joy and fulfilment of the gospel. We pray that all of us, wherever we're at, whatever situation we find ourselves in, can know the complete satisfaction that comes through you, um, can entrust ourselves to you and walk according to your goodwill here. And we pray that you will strengthen us for that. We thank you that it is your will and that you give us your spirit. So fill us with courage and boldness and energy in this era, we pray. And we pray it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.